and talk about a few of the reasons, 12 of them, 12 reasons why Christ came. Okay, we know some of them. Um, we think about some, but some of this is stuff that um, it comes from an individual study, um, not just plain reading, but actually looking into it and finding out what it means and us putting it into use. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that today. So let's go ahead and turn to John 3. Okay, and we're going to read verse 10 through verse 17. And now Pastor spent a great deal of time uh, when he was going through John um, on this passage. And we're just going to read this and go from there to uh, as a stepping stone into what it is, once again, that uh, we are going to be looking at. And what we're talking about today are the 12 reasons why Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. And there are many, many more reasons than uh, just 12, obviously. Um, but Okay, so let's go ahead and re read here in John 3, starting in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you have, do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe them, how do you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoso, whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So as we continue going forward, we're going to stop here real fast on verse 17. Because verse 17 is the first one um, that we're going to stop, stop and tell us what it is. Why was it that Christ came? And Christ himself said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through, the wor through him the world might be saved. So we know here that Christ was sent, but it was not sent to condemn us. Why did we deserve to be condemned? We're all sinners. None righteous, no, not one. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We're all sinners. Okay? But he didn't send Christ down here to condemn us. You would think that as a holy, holy, holy God, that that was one of the possibilities. That's what we deserved. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to go to hell. That's not the purpose that he was sent. And as we look through this today, as we go to these different verses, you're going to see how we are involved in what was happening and how that has affected or should affect us and what we should go forward taking that into mind. He didn't come in here to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay? That's what we all think of, that Christ came to be our sacrifice so that we could all be saved. But there were so many more things involved than just that. Let's look at Luke 19. He came to seek and save. Luke 19.10 Christ is now at Zacchaeus' house. And in verse 9, Christ once again is saying, 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who was lost? He didn't come to condemn us. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring salvation to those or to that which was lost. Each and every one of us, at one point in time, or even some now, are lost. How is it that we're lost? We're lost because we don't know what's going to happen. There's people out there that are not sure. They don't have any hope. Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost. How is he going to do that? How does he seek and save? We talked this morning that Christ was different than everybody else. All the other Pharisees, all the other teachers of the law went and had people come to them to be trained. Christ didn't come to them. Christ called them said, come follow me. All those are, that are in distress. Christ, we read it, John three sixteen. for who, God so loved the world, okay, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have that gift that was given. Right? And we're told here in Luke, once again, that his, he came to seek and save those who were lost. Okay? That goes in with, once again, not condemning the world. Okay? So that one is one that supports what we just read in John 3.17. Okay? And as we look through this, once again, we all deserve that condemnation. If you look through the Roman road, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's, no one seeks after him. Okay? So Christ came not to condemn us, because we're condemned already. That's not something that, you know, if he, was a, if he was a God that was a judgmental God, a God that was a, a dictator or a, we've seen those people on here on earth and how they treat people. Once again, God is a holy, holy God. We deserve that condemnation, but that's not the purpose that he came. Let's look at 1 John. Okay, 1 John 4. Okay, this is the one that we're going to jump off as we look through the second one. So once again, the very first thing um, was that he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. The second one, 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Right? That we might live through him. So he came to earth, lived a perfect life, died for all of our sins. We read that in, or sang that in the song this morning. Okay? Rose from the dead. Why? That we might live through him. How do we live through him? How is it that we should live through him? Why is it important that we do live through him? And we'll talk about that because all of this has something to do with why he came. These are all verses that we should memorize or we should know what it means. Let's look at John 5, 24.
So we've already looked at some of those. Verse, in 1 John, it says that we might live through him. So 1 John 5.24, Christ again is speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. That's how we live through him. It's pretty simple in a sense. We can read it. You know, it doesn't take long to, to read. He says, whoever believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? We believe in something. Everybody believes in something. You all believe in that chair. We also say the same thing. We believe we have faith. But believing in him is not just believing that he is the son of God. It's other things. It's not believing that he's a created being which other religions try and teach you. It is not believing that he is a man, but not God. It is not believing that the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism and left him at his crucifixion. Those are what other teachers, other preachers, other religions are teaching, which is false, which is false teaching. Here he says in himself, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. That's how we live through him. If we don't accept him, we're already dead. And we'll come under that judgment and that condemnation. That was not the reason why he was sent, as we read in that first one, in John 3.17. Go over to John 14. John 14 Verse 19, once again he says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live in you, you also live. So to say that we live in Christ means that he lives in us. Through that Holy Spirit residing within us, we're able to live through him. Once again, this is hard. We struggle with it every day. We all struggle with sin in our lives. But having him within us and the Holy Spirit within us, he's delivered us from that death. And through him we have that eternal life. That's in Hebrews 2.15. Uh, and I'll start here in 14. It says... In so much then as the child, children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Without accepting Christ as your Savior, you're in bondage. You're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage. You're preparing to go through judgment. Okay. Acts 20, 21 also talks about turning to God in repentance and to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we live within him or live through him. Once again, these are easy to read, 
hard to put into practice. The next one is if we go to Acts 3.26, gives us the third reason that Christ came. Acts 3.26, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. He came to bless us. And how does he bless us? By turning us away from our iniquities, turning us away from our sins, from our wicked ways. As I said, this is one thing that, once again, easy to read, very, very hard to do. We all are tempted every day. And we need to look toward Christ and the Holy Spirit to help us through that temptation and that time. He blesses us. He's not vindictive. He loves you. We saw that in John 3.16. He loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And his heart and his intention is to bless us. How many of us don't want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed. Some people, even non-believers, want to be blessed. Their blessings are different than ours. Their desires are different than ours. We're looking to be blessed by God, not material things. Our blessings are spiritual. Our blessings are, maybe they are materialistic. Maybe they are things that we look at. But the blessings and how we handle those, remember, we're sojourners here. He's giving us something just so we can take care of it for him. Which means how we use what he's blessed us with. Do we keep it for ourselves or do we use it to further the gospel? To spread his word? Those are some of the things that we're blessed with at times. It also turns us from our iniquities. As we look toward our future home, heaven... Heaven itself is 100% holiness. If one of us went up there and we weren't turned from our evil ways, heaven's no longer 100% because we're the ones that have failed. So even though we're Christians or call ourselves Christians, one of the things that we need to do every day is what 1 John says, right? Confess our sins, for he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's how we can turn from our wicked ways. If we're living in sin, we need to determine whether or not we are really a Christian or not. Because each and every day, we're supposed to be becoming more and more Christ-like. To be more and more malleable, if you will, to be used by God, as God would want us to be used. So just to recap real quick, he didn't condemn us, he came to save us. Save us so that we might live through him and to bless us, turning from our evil ways. And there's a lot of things that people don't want to turn from. A lot of us have our own little habits or our own little things that we like, and we like to think that God is not there, that we can put him in a little box. That's not possible. How is that not possible? Because Christ lives within us. 
The Holy Spirit is within us. God is within us. We can't just section him off and say, this is not your place. Because once again, if that's what we're doing, then we need to question our salvation. Let's turn to Luke 4, 43. In Luke 4, 43, Christ once again is talking. It's amazing. Almost all these that we're reading, it's Christ talking of why he came. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Why was he sent? He was sent to preach the kingdom of God. He wasn't the first person that preached the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was teaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? That it's coming. Christ here is saying the same thing. And as we look at this, we can reflect upon the Lord's Prayer itself, how he prayed. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. God's kingdom. And when we say that, and remember, this wasn't the Lord's prayer. This was the disciples' prayer that he was giving them. It was his model prayer. Okay? We know that John 17, I believe, was the Lord's prayer. Okay? But we need to remember, as we look at this, that when we pray this, or pray like this, that we're asking God for his kingdom to come. And if it's his kingdom, that means he's the king of it. We can't ask for his kingdom to come and then think we're in charge. Because we're not. We can never be in charge. We also look at the fact that in Matthew 28, 18, Christ is talking at the end and he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has that authority now. Okay, so he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, and then Christ. But here he's saying, who has that authority? Christ does. He is the one that is in charge. That is the reason, another reason why he came. He came to give us the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel. The good news that his kingdom is coming and he is the one with the authority. The one with the authority makes the rules. Christ has made rules. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's one. That's a hard one. In Luke 4, we see a list of things that he came for. And we've talked about some of these in Sunday school, flipped through and read them. 
I'm going to start in verse 16. Verse 4, chapter 16 of Luke says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he, sat, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We have a list here of things that he sent us, that he came and said. And then he closed the book and gave it back. And at this time, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled. And they were filled with wrath. In verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Why? Obviously, he told the truth. At this point in time, he's already done some things. But here we have a list. It says here, He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim the gospel to the poor. Remember, we're all poor. We're all lost in sin. We're bankrupt spiritually. So we can look at this as our spiritual self, not our physical, because... He came here to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Each and every one of these is something that we ourselves were at one point in time, or might still be. We're all poor, once again, because we're lost in sin. We're spiritually bankrupt. Even as a Christian, we're not spiritually bankrupt, but we're still in sin. We're still living in sin. We're still living around sin. None of that will ever be taken away until we're in a perfect world, which will never happen here on earth. He came to proclaim that good news to us, so why he came? To preach the gospel, to set, set me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, each should be <clears throat> brokenhearted. Without Christ, we have no hope. Our heart, nowadays, we look at it as our emotions. That's not what it was back then. But as we look at through this, if you have no hope, you're already heartbroken because you don't know what you're looking forward to. Many different religions teach many different things about this. What to look forward to. Are you just going to sleep? Are you just going to vaporize? Are you just going to turn to dust and nothing? Are you going to get reincarnated? That's those that are brokenhearted. They don't know what's going to happen to them. We know. As a Christian, we know once again that we're sojourners here, that our home is in heaven. We don't know when we're going to get there. Many of us are closer than others. (laughs) Okay? Just a little aging there. But we're all hoping to go at the same time. We're hoping that Christ returns during our lifetime. 
That's what we pray at times. We have that hope. We're not brokenhearted people. To proclaim liberty to the captives. We're all captives. We've all been captives. Many of us still are captives. So what does it mean by a captive? Here, they're thinking if you're in prison, John was in prison, others were in prison, but anybody without Christ is a captive. What's your captive by? Your captive captured by is sin. The devil has control. You're following him. He's your captor if you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer. So here he is proclaiming liberty to the captives. How many of us looked forward to that time that we would be saved? How many of us that we would no longer be captives? I had a short timers calendar for two years, my last two years in the Navy. And I had it sitting there and thousand on down, and every single day I got up and put an X on it to get closer and closer to when I would be out, to when I would be different, to no longer, if you will, be a captive. I did that at school. Start of school, 180 days to go. Okay? Then I start counting down. Okay, not saying that being at school is captive, but sometimes with the kids it is. Anyway, so we're looking at this. And he says, to recovery of sight to the blind. This is true spiritually. Because if we're blind, we're not able to see what's going on around us. We're not able to see God's blessings or see what's going on. He healed people that were physically blind, but he also healed people that were spiritually blind. And how do we know that he's still healing people physically, spiritually now? Because Christ also says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews. He's not going to change. If he changes, then he's not God. He's somebody that can change his mind willy-nilly. Anybody ever had a person that's like that? That says one thing one day and something totally different the next day? That's not something that we look forward to because we never know what's going to happen. But here we know that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came to set the oppressed free. What does he free us from? Well, we know he frees us from sin. He also frees us from stress and pressures or afflictions, crushing calamities. How does he save us from those? Because we have hope. If we have a calamity take place and someone in our family dies, if we know that person was a Christian, do we lose hope? No, because we know where that person is now. We know that we'll be with them later on. So he frees us from those. The stress. How many of us are stressed? We're all stressed in one way or another. Has he released us from that? Well, in a sense. Physically, we might be stressed. But do we have somebody that we know that we can go to and trust and ask for help to get us through that situation? Yes, as a Christian, yes, we do. Also, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6 2. 
For he says, in the acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So when he says, the year of salvation, we're talking now, just like in this morning in Sunday school, a new covenant. This is what he was saying when he says, you don't put new cloth on a, tent, on a t- tear or something for an old one because it's going to rip apart. The old covenant, the law, is gone. There are still people trying to live by that. It's not possible. Why? Because this is the day of salvation. Not the day of the law, not the old covenant. This is the day of salvation. And in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, no matter how many promises God has made, that they are always yes in Christ. So if we ask him for stress, if we ask him for something, and we're asking, believing, then he's going to give that to us. How do I know? Because I did the exact same thing. Not knowing if I was going to stay in the Navy or not, driving up, I felt that peace. The stress went away when I was driving up to Virginia. And everything just happened right after that. Somebody wanted to rent my house. Then somebody wanted to buy my house. Everything just happened. Because why? We were following and doing what Christ was leading us to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be asking. And why? So that he can proclaim the good news. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Verse 45. We read this this morning in a Sunday school. This is only the second time, the only, only two times in Mark, that Christ explained or said why he came. And here it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to give. He didn't come to be catered to. I mean, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He had every authority, if he wanted to, to have people serve him. That's not why he came. As we've been studying in Mark, Mark is the gospel showing that Christ was a servant. He came to serve. And we see many examples of that, right? Matter of fact, he told his disciples, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have none of me. He came to serve. And how did he serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many, for all of us. What can we learn from that? Christ also said, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. He also called people his friends. He says to his disciples, now I call you friends. Why? Because you followed me and you know what I've been saying and teaching. 
You're no longer a servant, you're a friend. That's what a Christian is now. They say a little Christ. The name Christian was initially given out as derogatory. Okay? First time it was used. But here it says he came to serve and to save. Wash the feet. So it says, ask yourself, if Jesus, the Lord and Savior, left heaven to give his life and death and to serve, how much more should we be humble and willing to serve others? Doesn't matter what job you have. Doesn't matter what you do here. But are we able to serve others? There's many ways to serve whether it's in church or whether it's at work. How can you serve at work? By being the best servant, you will, that you can. Doing your job, doing it well. Whether people recognize you for it or not, it doesn't make any difference. That's something that we all have to change in how we think. When I was on one of my last submarines, well, actually my yeah, third, Submarine. I did something that I thought, man, I should be really getting some myself a good medal for this because of what I've done. And I was stressed out. Running two different divisions, doing everything else. We went through a major test, and they came, and they were starting to give out the awards, and I got a letter of commendation from a one-star admiral. And I just took that, and I threw it in the trash. I went downstairs, and a friend of mine says, well, let me read it. I said, I threw it away. I said, it doesn't mean anything. I was looking for recognition here on earth for what I had done. Where should we be looking for resignate? Uh, you know what I mean. Recognition. We should be looking for recognition, not here on earth. What we do here on earth is, is here on earth. Remember, we need to look at what our motivation is for what we're doing. That our motivation is what will be, we be receiving. Why are we doing it? Are we doing it to glorify God or are we doing it to glorify ourselves? And if we're doing it to glorify ourselves, that's that wood, hay, and stubble. That's the reason. Right? So he came to be a servant. That's what we should be doing. We should be serving And we'll talk about that here shortly. How is it that we can do that? Number 12. Let's go to, well, two of these together. Let's go to John 3, or I'm sorry, John 6.38. And then uh, we'll go to John 14, or 12.49. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. He didn't come down to do his own. Right? He relied upon Christ. Our Christ relied upon God and on the Holy Spirit. We've seen this many times. We'll see it more in Mark and we'll see it in other ones. That Christ always went off by himself and prayed. Why? Because he wanted to make sure he did God's will. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prays, 
If it's possible, take this from me. But not my will, your will be done. He came down to do God's will. John 12, 49. says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as my Father told me, so I speak. He didn't come down on his own, not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him, his Father. Oh, if we all wanted to do God's will all the time, what would life be like? We would be in a totally different area, totally different situation taking place. But we don't do that. That is another thing that we need to be seeking after. As a Christian, part of becoming more and more Christ-like is to do his will. We know people out there that want to follow after what their father's doing whether it's to follow him as the pastor of a church, which sometimes works out, multiple times does not, because it's not God's will for that person to be a pastor. We need to seek what his will is. What is it that you desire for us to do, Lord? What is it that you want? And many of us have our own preconceived notions, and we try and push God in that direction, if you will. Why, well, I can do this or this, and well, if I do this, he'll bless me. Well, what happens if you do that and you're not blessed? Doing the will of him who sent me. Doing what he commanded. John eight twenty eight says, Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Once again, if we could do something, if everything we did was something that pleased God, we would be a perfect person. And once again, we need to look at the fact of the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer is that we ask okay, at the end, thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would follow his will. As we look through this, that means our speech our conversation, everything, should be stuff that is used to glorify God. And we know, I know, that that doesn't happen all the time. How many of us get angry at work and say things? That's a common thing. Well, are we doing God's will at that point in time? The answer is no. Once again, these are things that are very easy to read, very easy to say, extremely difficult to do. And that's where we spend, hopefully, most of our time, trying to do the right thing. It's not simple. So what does all this have to do with us? These are all reasons why Christ came. 
How does that affect us? That was stuff that Christ was doing. Why do we have to do it? Why can't we just go about doing our own thing? There's a couple of reasons. Let's go look at John 17, 18. You notice how we're spending a lot of time in John. The pastor spent a lot longer than I did. <laughs> okay? John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's Christ talking once again. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then over to John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We sing that song. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Christ is talking to us. He told us why he came to earth. He told us why the Father sent him to the earth. Now he's telling us what we're supposed to be doing. In very few words. As the Father has sent me these 12 things, and there's many, many more of why Christ came. We didn't talk about being the propitiation. We didn't talk about any of that stuff. All these things we've talked about, why Christ was sent, directly relates to us. We can't be the propitiation for anybody's sins. Okay? What is it that we have done, or what can we do? Because, like I said, John says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. All of these things that he was sent to do is capable for us to do. None of these are divine only. Not the ones we've gone over. Okay? In Acts 1.1, it says, The former account I made of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Why are people teachers? Why do people teach? Because they want others to learn and they, others to follow in sometimes situations. So Christ was teaching all of these things to his disciples and to many, many others. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. How can we be reconciled to God? You can't unless you've accepted Christ. You'll never be reconciled to God because of the fact that we are sinners. And it's amazing that while we are yet sinners, he died for us and he wants us to spread his word. So let's look at some of this. Here it says that Christ that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. Why are we here? As a Christian, what are we supposed to do? So let's look at these 12 real quick. It says, he's came to why? Seek and to save those who were lost. Can we save those? No. Can we seek them out? 
Can we teach them and tell them about Jesus Christ? Yes, we can. There's nothing divine there. That's one of the reasons why he came. We can seek out those who are not saved and tell them about Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing, all the way out into other most parts of the earth, most parts of the world. Can we lead sinners to, from death and hell to life in Christ? Well, if we witness to them, and I know people that say, well, I've saved three people. You haven't saved anybody. All you've done is talk to them, the Holy Spirit, as they accept Christ, as they accept what you've talked to them about. You're the one that is planting the seed. We're not harvesting anybody. We're not our, it's not our job to harvest. Our job is to plant the seed and to water. So we can do that. We do that by, once again, telling them, leading to them. And what I mean by that is going through, if necessary, the Romans road, talking to them, praying with them. Just like this morning, Levi went as soon as Christ said, follow me. He got up and left because he was seeking. And we can see sometimes by people that are coming up asking questions that they are seeking, that they are lost and they're looking for direction. That's what we can be doing giving them that direction. We can be messengers to the world of Christ's desire to bless them. Okay. By accepting Christ, are all your things, all your problems gone? No. Your problems are still there. But now, by accepting Christ, you know your future. You know where you're going to spend eternity. You're able to lose that doubt or that fear of the unknown. Because now we know. But at the same time, now you have a helper or a comforter within you to help you through the stress and the, and, and the other issues that are taking place. And that's that blessing. We can exhort people to turn from wickedness to a holy savior. We all hate to think that we're wicked, but we are. And we think, well, it's okay, I'm not as bad as that person. And they start looking at the worst people they think of. Well, I might have killed five people, but I didn't kill six million like Hitler. I'm not as bad as he is. You don't have to kill anybody to be as bad as Hitler. Because if you think in your heart, it's the same as doing it. We're able to tell the people about the kingdom of God and what it means to us. That there is a loving God who rules the earth and the entire universe. We can proclaim the gospel. That's what evangelists do, right? They go around and proclaim the gospel. Why? Because that's what God has blessed them with. That God has used them for and gifted them for. And we can do that to the poor, to those that are imprisoned. I mean, we think of people that are in prison now, just regular prison. We've talked about imprisoned in sin. But you also have those that are imprisoned by addiction, by bondage, by just sin. Right? And we can talk with them about Christ and his desire to remove all that from you. You don't lose the results of the sin that you were in. For example, if you're an alcoholic, 
you can stop being an alcoholic, but you still might have the damage done to your liver and the other things. If you're a homosexual and you have AIDS and you stop, it doesn't stop the AIDS. You still have that result of your sin, but now you have a place to look forward to. We can set them free from oppression by giving them the message and them accepting, accepting it. Once again, our job here is to serve and to give. Different people are able to serve different ways. Depends on how you're gifted or how you're blessed. But we're all able to serve. And we can serve by all these things I just talked about. That's a way to serve God. Not everybody is blessed that way or gifted that way. But that's something that we can ask. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us in that direction. Many times I've heard at the prayers here on Sunday nights that people are praying for somebody to go and talk to somebody about Christ, that the door might open to be able to do that. Right? Might not be you. Christ himself said a prophet is not well-liked or paid attention to, obvious paraphrase, in his own country. Okay? But other people, when you're doing that praying, you're asking to plant the seeds, to have somebody plant the seeds in water. That's what we can do. That's one of the things that we're here for. It would be easy if Christ just said, okay, everybody's saved, but that's not going to happen. And that's universalism, I think. Where everybody's going to get saved no matter what they do. That's not what the Bible says. And if that happened, then God is not a just God. And we can try and do the God, God's will daily. And once again, that comes in where thy will be done. We can try and do that. We should seek to do that. Where we fail to do that, we should be asking for forgiveness. Because that all has to do with why God came or Christ came and why we are here. Like I said, there are many, many more things that Christ came for. But these are the ones that we are able to work with. These are the ones that we can continue his legacy, if you will. Even though it's not his legacy, it's his will and his commandment. So send I you. I'm sending you to do these things. We need to look at these and see where is it that we're falling short. And I, I'm falling short in many, many areas. But where is it that we can do the most good for what God wants us to do, what he's gifted us for? Okay? So let's think about these. And as we look through these, and remember, as we go through our Bible and we read and we study, that it's not just one book that tells us everything. Just by what we were doing here, we've gone into about six, seven, eight books on one little thing, which isn't so little if you think about it. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, close and uh, go ahead and close with some songs and then uh, I'll close at the end.